0: For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, good morning again. I am not Pastor Jeff. Uh, he is actually stepping away for a couple of weeks on vacation much needed vacation so you can be praying for him as he does that i have the privilege and honor of continuing our series uh, on the sermon on the mount and so i'm going to be preaching this morning for you guys and as we kick this off we're gonna have a little fun together we're going to watch a little video clip uh, from a classic set of movies meet the parents meet the Fockers. i don't know if you guys remember this one but let's watch this clip as we get started with the knowledge with the knowledge you've been given You are now on the inside of what I like to call the Burns family circle of trust. See, if I can't trust you, Greg, then I have no choice but to put you right back outside the circle. And once you're out, you're out. There's no coming back. Hmm. Well, I would definitely like to stay inside the circle. have my word. I'm gonna hold you to that. Circle of trust. Guess who's back in the circle of trust. I like to think of it is a little circle of trust. That circle of trust thing, that's mine. That is true. I mean, I am still in the Burns family circle of trust, right? You are firmly in the circle. (laughs) Finally. Let me put it very simply. If your family circle does indeed join my family circle, they'll form a chain. I can't have a chink in my chain. Hmm, yeah, okay, I get the metaphor. Greg, you're still in the circle of trust, so I'm going to give you one more chance. That's it. We're starting our own circle of trust. And guess what? You're not in it. Well, you can't start a circle of trust. It's my circle. You know what? You don't have a patent on the circle, Jack. And by the way, you're not even in your own circle right now. That is untrue. I say who's in or out of the circle. Well, I'm confused. Whose circle am I in? Nobody's. Nobody's. <laughs> with the knowledge you've been given. Oh, my gosh. You're now on the inside of what so I good. the Burns family. I think we're on a loop there. It's all good. The circle of trust, right? If you're not familiar with that movie, Greg is desperately trying to earn his way into this Burns family circle of trust. He's trying to marry this man's daughter and on and on it goes for two movies, the circle of trust. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter five this morning. We're gonna talk about this issue of our words, trust, all these things, circles of trust, ladders of trust. Did anybody have a ladder of trust in their family? I grew up with the ladder of trust. If you lied, you fell all the way off the top of the ladder to the bottom and it took a really long time to climb your way back up, right? So question, how often have you heard people use these kinds of phrases or exclamations in life? I swear on my life, I didn't do it. I swear to God or so help me God. Cross my heart. Do you guys know what's next? Hope to die. There's even another phrase. It's like a needle in my eye. Oh my gosh, that gets gruesome, right? I remember that one from the playground. How about this one? Kids, students, do you guys still make pinky promises? I don't know, that was one back in the day. What is the deal with our pinky? Like that's gonna secure our word, pinky promises. Do you promise you won't tell? Pinky promise, remember that? Or how about this, hand to God. Or maybe we hear oh my God, I swear on all that is good and holy. And there are Christian versions of these too, right? So if all that makes you uncomfortable, you might just leave out the word God. So help me. And you just stop there. Or how about OMG instead of oh my God, or oh my gosh, or geez, right? These are all phrases we've heard, right? We're gonna talk about this this morning. Why do we talk like this? Why do we create things like the circle of trust, ladders of trust? Do you wanna know why? I'm gonna tell you, it's because we're all liars. It's true. Like we all struggle with this. We can't be trusted. Welcome to Redemption Church, right? Positive encouraging stuff here. It's true though, we all struggle to tell the truth to some degree. And so what do we do? We puff up our language with these things. And we use these extra exclamatory phrases to try to prove a point, to let people know that we really mean business. Well, Jesus has something to say about this. Let me pray as we open up his word. Father, I rattle off these lists of things that we say and it feels a little bit... Uh, like lighthearted and we're, and we're just kind of laughing about this. But in all seriousness, we know that it's addressing your name. It's addressing your word. It's addressing who you are. And so this morning we have these words of Jesus and we pray that you would show us more of your character. Show, you would show us your holiness. You would show us how to be men and women who use speech in a way that honors you that points to you, that helps us to be salt and light. God, that you'd help our yes be yes and our no be no. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So Matthew 5, 33 through 37, we'll read that together in your Bibles. It says this, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes, or no, anything more than this comes from evil. So a little background here. This is the fourth of six examples we see of Jesus calling his followers to a life of holiness and of flourishing. Four weeks ago, we looked at Jesus's words and his call to be salt and light, right? And two weeks ago, we heard that Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, not to do away with these things, but to fulfill it. And he makes this high call to his followers that our righteousness must surpass even that of the Pharisees and scribes. And now he's giving us these tangible examples on how to flesh this out in two triplets. Last week, Pastor Jeff walked us through the first triplet and we looked at what Jesus taught about anger about lust, and about marriage and divorce. And this week, I'm just gonna take the first of the second triplet, oaths. And we're gonna unpack this a little bit. So the second triplet will be oaths, retaliation, and loving our enemies. And just as a reminder of what Jesus is doing here, he's giving us an example of the law. Okay, so he's pointing to an actual example of the Old Testament law. He's then giving us the true intent of that law. So he's digging a little deeper here. And then he's giving us a way to live this out. So this is what Jesus is doing in these triplets, all right? It's real easy sometimes to separate each of these things and try to do a deep dive here, but we have to remember the context is that Jesus is using these as a way to show us how to live lives of, of being salt and light and live lives that are flourishing. And let's not forget the context here, okay? So Jesus is appealing to us. And he's doing that because we see him speaking to everyday people on a hillside. So this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? So everyday people were gathered up this hillside, sitting down, listening to what this man had to say. And you hear Jesus lead off with these statements like, you've heard it said. Isn't that a gripping way to talk? And so if you're sitting there and somebody says, you've heard it said, you're kind of hanging on. He's setting up some tension like, okay, what's this guy gonna talk about? And he sets up tension. And before he gets the words out, we're leaning. Oh, he says this, but you've heard it said, but I say, and so that's the tension, right? So you've heard it said, but I say. And so we're leaning in and we're saying, what do you have to say to us, Jesus? He's speaking to a people on the side of the hill, but he's also speaking to us this morning. So Jesus points to one of the Old Testament laws. I want you to think 10 commandments here, Genesis or Mosaic law that you find in Deuteronomy or Numbers. And he ratchets up the tension here when he says, but I say to you. He's cutting to our hearts. He's exercising authority here when he says, but I say And Jesus begins to expound on the law in such a way that we have to wrestle with it afresh. And in order to do that, we have to first consider, do we even believe that Jesus's words are truth? Because if they're not truth, then why even sit and listen to them, right? So we must consider this morning, are Jesus's words truth? And if so, are they authority? Do we hold them as authority over our life? So, I'm going to give you the, the punch of the sermon right out the gate here. You ready for this? If we skip to the end of this little passage and we look at what Jesus tells us to do here and now, it's really, really simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, and anything else comes from evil. Let's pack it up. Let's go home. Let's go live it out. Simple enough? You guys got that? We don't, do we? I love how simple it is and I hate how hard it is to live this way. And this is how Jesus speaks to us. He just, right to the heart, right to the everyday nitty gritty stuff, right? It stops us in our tracks. Is it even possible to let our yes stand alone? Instead, we find ourselves puffing up the integrity of our yeses with things like the circle of trust or the ladder of trust or any number of ways we might inflate our language to convince people that we're truth tellers. I swear, I promise, God is my witness. Or how about our no, meaning no? Parents, no means no, right? Right? Have you said that before? Does it really mean no? Our kids like to push on that one. Some of you all don't even have the word no in your vocabulary. That's a different sermon altogether. Better yet, it's probably a counseling session (laughs) with you if you don't have that word in your vocabulary. Okay, so let's back up and follow Jesus's three-step roadmap here. And first let's take a look at the example of the law that Jesus is unpacking and why it matters. So verse 33, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. We need to start with what are oaths and what is swearing? What are these things? An oath simply defined is this, a promise made before some institutional authority, an oath serves as an objective guarantee of what is promised. So this means that an oath is connected to something outside of us, right? Some kind of authority outside of us. You guys, oaths in this day and age are pretty much worthless. Do you you want to know why? Because we live in a time where people do not like to have any kind of authority outside of themselves. It just feels foreign. We're swimming in these streams and these waters that say, you don't have to trust anybody else, trust yourself. And so we're more likely to swear. And swearing can be defined by by this. People are more likely to swear in our day to try to convince you to believe them to believe you, and in swearing, you're telling the truth and you're guaranteeing your own word. You're saying, I guarantee what I'm saying is true. I swear, I swear, right? You're not swearing on anything else. We're more likely to do that today. We still see some cases of people taking oaths in our day. For example, you might see people taking an oath of office today, our president takes an oath Government officials take oaths, law enforcement take oaths. You might also see this type of thing in courtrooms still where people raise their hand or place their hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, right? They're making an oath and in a sense, what they're saying is this book is true or this thing is so true that so am I. I'm aligning myself with something outside of, my, outside of me. So is Jesus saying these kinds of things are wrong? Not necessarily. Some have taken Jesus's words here on the Sermon on the Mount a little too far. One example of that, the Quakers till this day will not take an oath or swear in court. They won't do it. They take Jesus's words literal here and they won't even go as far to swear or take an oath. Don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's pointing at the third commandment. So let's look at that. Genesis 20, verse three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does this mean? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Vain translated here could mean empty, nothing, nothing worthless, or to no good purpose. If you think about that translation, don't make the name of the Lord nothing, worthless, or to no good purpose. Leviticus 19 verse 12 says this, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, capital L O R D all capitals. This means he's, this is the writers pointing back to the name Yahweh. This is a name that they didn't even want to write out. It was a name above all names. It was like saying, we can't even capture your name, so we're just gonna spell it all out in big bold letters, L O R D. So in other words, don't make the Lord's name worthless or mean nothing by promising by it and then not delivering, right? This seems pretty simple and obvious. I'll tell you a little story about when I was growing up. When I was a young boy, I remember going on these drives with my parents out to see my grandfather in a little place called Sun Valley. It was about a 30 minute drive north out of Reno, Nevada. And for whatever reason, as a little kid, it just seemed like a long drive. And I remember, you know, doing whatever kids do, looking out the window, just kind of twirling your thumbs, waiting to get there. This is before we had phones so we could like watch something all the way there. It just felt like a long drive. And I remember pulling up in the gravel lot of the driveway and we were there and it just seemed like, whoa, that went by really quick. And I remember saying something like, geez, we're already there. And I'm like a little five-year-old boy. And I remember my mom turning around and saying, honey, let's not use that word. I'm like, what? Jeez. She's like, yeah, that, that word is awful close to the name of Jesus. And we just don't use his name like that. And I remember my mom saying that and it just really sticking like, okay, oh, I'm not going to use that kind of language. And I don't think there was anything other than like it being a rule going on in my heart at that time. I remember it. And I stopped using that word when I was a kid and I didn't use any other words like it. We weren't allowed to say things in my house, like, oh my God, or even, oh my gosh. My mom would always say, hey, that's getting close. But it wasn't until I really started walking with Jesus later in life, that something began to happen in my heart. And I began trusting in the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. Then something weird started to happen. When I heard those things, it began to make me cringe. and I began to understand why my mom was teaching me those things. As Christians, we usually avoid this, right? We usually avoid swearing with the Lord's name. Although I'm probably pushing on some people here this morning You stub your toe or you find yourself needing to use that exclamation and you say, whatever it is you say, and maybe it's the Lord's name. Typically you hear this kind of swearing in our workplaces, maybe at school playgrounds, students, I bet you hear this all the time in the hallways, maybe at the gym, maybe at ball games or in restaurant conversation. Before I was walking with Jesus, hearing God's name used as a curse word, it didn't bother me. Believe it or not, I had a pretty bad mouth myself. One of the first things that happened after I committed to walking with Jesus is this kind of language and speech became very abrasive. I started to cringe and flinch, began to sound foreign coming out of my mouth. And I didn't like hearing my friends talk like that anymore. You guys, this is a sign of the spirit at work in you. If you cringe, even as I opened this sermon this morning and I was saying all those phrases and you were like, oh, this feels really uncomfortable. It's evidence that the spirit is at work with you, that Jesus is with you. You're using his name. He's a personal God. Maybe you don't relate at all this morning. Maybe this just sounds like a lot of hoopla about language. And I pray this morning that God would grip your heart through his word. Leviticus 19.12 again, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Just a side note. Do you ever wonder why you don't hear Allah or Buddha or Muhammad used in exclamative language? It's a little strange. Only the name of Jesus, only God. You guys, God's name is holy. We sang that this morning. Only a holy God. Think about Moses. This is a familiar story for us. Think about Moses and the burning bush. God speaks to Moses from a burning bush, fire, and God's voice speaking out of this. And he's giving Moses instructions on how to deliver the Israelites, God's people, from the incredible oppression and slavery that they were under and what does Moses do he pleads with them, he says I can't do this I don't I don't even know how to talk right and you want me to go back and do this and say these things to Pharaoh and so he appeals to God and he says you have to give me something outside of me because I can't do it by myself who shall I say sent me he needs a name more significant than his own right And God says to him, you tell him, I am sent me. Isn't that weird? I am. That's not even a name. Right? Because God doesn't need a name to define him. He's above all names. He says, I am that I am sent you, Moses. You tell him that. You guys, we ought to be like Moses in front of the burning bush, taking off our shoes, unstrapping our sandals because we're on holy ground when we're before the Lord. We're not to use his name lightly. He's the great I am. No name can capture him. I love how Kevin DeYoung puts it in one of his articles. He gives us this litany of scripture. It says, everywhere in scripture, the name of the Lord is exalted in the highest possible terms. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8.1. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Psalm 29.2. The first petition of the Lord's prayer is, hallowed be thy name. And we're gonna talk about the lord's prayer here in just a couple weeks in matthew 6 the apostles his followers proclaimed there's no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved acts four twelve, and paul assured the romans that everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved And the culminating event in all of creation is when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. The Bible does not want us to forget the holy importance of this divine name. So does this start to help you see a little bit about how using God's name as a curse word might be a little bit disrespectful in the least? Maybe it's helping you understand that swearing by his name to give credit to your word might be a little more severe than just puffing up your language. So back to oaths. We see oaths and vows and swearing in God's name or even other gods all over in the Old Testament. Moses actually instructs his people on how to make oaths and vows in certain situations. Jonathan makes an oath to David. We study the life of David and Jonathan and David have this incredible relationship and they make an oath to one another. Jonathan says to David, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, L-O-R-D again, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. In Numbers 30 verse two, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth Deuteronomy 23:21 When you make a vow to the Lord your God you shall not delay to pay it for it would be a sin in you and the Lord your God will surely require it of you So the Old Testament teaches us that it's serious business to use, the God, the, to use God's name like this. You guys, there's actually even a place where God makes an oath. And so just so we're clear here, God doesn't not need to make oaths, okay? But he does it. His word stands true forever, no matter what, but for our encouragement and our affirmation we see the writer of Hebrews recount this and point to one of the ways that God made an oath. I want you guys to actually turn here in Hebrews chapter six. If you haven't read Hebrews, uh, I would encourage you to do so. Maybe make that a Bible study sometime if you're just kind of wondering where to dig in. Hebrews is incredible at showing you how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse 13. God makes an oath to Abraham here, promising to make him a great nation and multiply his offspring beyond measure. And later in Hebrews, we're gonna see that this was all fulfilled to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, so that by two unchangeable things, you guys, this is God doubling down on his own word and he doesn't even have to, but just so that we know he is who he says he is. He does this. It's impossible for God to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a thick passage. You guys, Melchizedek, is the line of priests that came from Abraham and Jesus became the final high priest. So this is, this is a place where God made an oath, but man, he doubled down on his word for our encouragement and our benefit to know that Jesus fulfilled every word that God promised back in the day. But then there's this tension, right? So we have Jesus saying to us now in verse 34 of Matthew, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of God or by earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king and do not take an oath on your head for you can't make one hair white or black. Let's go back and unpack the context here and see if we can get to why Jesus is pushing a little deeper on us and trying to give us the true intent of this law. So remember that Jesus has this captivated audience on a hillside, right? And this audience would have been steeped either in the Roman cultural practices and laws or Jewish cultural practices and laws, or maybe a melding of the two, right? So this is his audience. And what do we know and understand about the Pharisees and the scribes during this time? They were known for teaching passionately and upholding the law passionately as handed down in the Torah the Old Testament, but they were also men like you and me. And so at some point their interpretation and their teaching of the law is gonna be tainted through sin, right? And they begin to slip into this religion and this religiosity. And no doubt their intention was good to start. They're upholding the law. They're wanting to teach people this they begin to drift into religious practices. And that's the problem. It became all about keeping the law. The Pharisees were more concerned with rule keeping and rule following than they were with true worship, true relationship. And this is why Jesus was pushing on all the buttons because he's saying, I'm here, I'm here to have a relationship with. And they just couldn't see that, right? And so oaths and vows in that time as the religious Pharisees and scribes would have been operating, they became glib. They became more of a way to puff up language, even in the temple. So you might've heard Jewish people in that time swearing by heaven or swearing by Jerusalem or by the temple or by the gold in the temple or maybe by their own heads. And they began to create rules and stipulations surrounding these oaths saying, this one's really true. And if you say it this way, if you really swear on the gold that's in the temple, then you have to keep that oath. And some oaths were just kind of looked over. Some oaths were held very serious. Here's the rub, right? As one type of oath over this or that is promised and broken, you've got to up the ante, right? And swear on something more meaningful. You got to puff up your language a little more. What happens in financial inflation? Money, the value of money decreases. What happens when we inflate our yes and no? Our yeses and nos become less valuable. Words become cheap. The ability to communicate, the ability to communicate, which is the currency of relationships, okay, you guys, it's devalued. And we lose authentic relationship with others and with God when we begin to puff up our language. And when we lose touch with the path of authentic relationships, we're in trouble. This is how we lose our salt and light. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. How do we remain salt and light in the world? Well, Jesus is giving us a very tangible example here in our speech. Our testimony becomes meaningless because we can't keep our word when we swear our promise by anything. We're pulling God's name into our brokenness. And what Jesus is trying to get us to grasp here is that there's nothing on this earth that we can swear by that he didn't create. So why do it? Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, why? Because God owns heaven, he made heaven. Or by the earth, it's his footstool, he made that too. Why not the city of Jerusalem? Because that's his city, it's all his. Do not take an oath by your head, he made you. He knows exactly every number of hairs or lack of hairs that you have on your head. So Jesus is drawing a line in the sand here around our speech and he's saying to us, stop buttering up your speech with emphases and exaggerations, right? Well, I never do this, never. As a feeler, an artist, a helper, oh man, I butter up my yeses all the time. I say things like this in my emails, on the phone. Yes, of course. I'd love nothing more than to help you. Or yes, I want to do that. Yes, yes, exclamation points, exclamation points, all kinds of emojis, right? And I think there's some truth to that. Although I know myself enough to know that there's a shadow side of that too. And I'm trying to puff up my yes, because I want to be liked by you. I want to be loved. I want to be sought, sought after. I want to I want you to think that I'm a nice guy, just being real. That's the shadow side of puffing up my language and my yes. And no, Um, I just avoid that word as much as possible. (laughs) I kid, I'm growing here too. I'm learning how to say no, I'm learning how to mean no. Why does our speech matter so much to Jesus? And how is it specifically now that Jesus is calling us to a higher standard in the use of our words? Let's dig in here and look at that final part of the roadmap and how Jesus is calling us to apply it. You guys, oaths and promises and vows are essentially not wrong. They're necessary among sinful people, but they shouldn't be essential among followers of Christ. We don't need them. This is what Jesus is getting at. Believers, our words have power because we have Christ in us. He's living with us. The light of the world, the hope of glory, we are his ambassadors. He's given us a mission to be salt and light in this world and point others to life and flourishing and abundance in him. Are you considering how powerful your speech is in your day to day? Are you considering your yes and your no as you go about business and school and the workplace and your friendships and your family life? Have you ever considered how powerful your speech is here as an ambassador of Christ? If we really embrace the truth that we are God's ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, we're his Representers, right? Representatives, and how we speak our words, our truth-telling or lying, has enormous ramifications because we're, we're representing Him. If you don't believe me, let's look at some more of God's Word. Proverbs six seventeen. This one's a doozy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. How about this one? Proverbs 12, verse 19. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's powerful. James talks about that in his book. The tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It can steer the whole course of a ship. Our tongues have a lot of power. Psalm 14, verse 13 says this, and I love this prayer, you guys. If there's anything you can tuck in your pocket today, it would be this. Post a guard at my mouth. God set a watch at the door of my lips. Don't you love that? It's like, we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. I love how James puts it in chapter five of his book. Above all my brothers and sisters, above all my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise you'll be condemned pretty much the same exact thing that Jesus is saying here, right? It's like a mirror passage. Jesus says, let your yes be yes your no be no. Everything else comes from evil. James says, otherwise you will be condemned. I read that and I was like, well, I really love how James puts it. And then he says, otherwise you'll be condemned. And I go, oh, I'm kind of backpedaling and go, that sounds really heavy. What do you mean by that, James? I think what James is getting at is that we set ourselves a trap. It's not necessarily condemnation whether we're saved or unsaved. But we condemn ourselves when we puff up our language and we don't keep our word. You guys know how this feels. You said yes to something and then you have to go back and explain that you couldn't really do it or you didn't do it like you said you were gonna do it. You know that feeling. I know that feeling. It's painful. And that's what James is getting at here, you, you feel that condemnation. It's why Jesus said anything else is just evil. Well, let's remember what evil is and where it came from. Evil is rebellion against God, simply put. It does not believe God's word. It's what evil is, right? Where did things go wrong for us? Wasn't it back in the garden? when we disobeyed God's commands, when we didn't believe what he said, When we began to listen to another voice whispering lies, partnering with the enemy. What is one of the things the Bible refers to the enemy as a name, the father of lies, okay? Our enemy is called the father of lies. And who do we know loves to tell us about condemnation? It's Satan, right? It's all he has to fight us with. But you guys, he's defeated, he's condemned, not us. He wants to drag as many as he can with him because that's all he has. But believer, I want to tell you this morning, you are surely not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. By the name of Jesus, Satan's lies fall flat and his name will not stand in the end. Only the name of Jesus stands in the end. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and we are raised and seated with him. Satan's only weapon against us is to lie. And where we start to mess it up is when we begin to join him and our yes becomes wishy-washy and unbelievable. So Jesus is saying to us, look, there's no need to puff up your language, oaths and vows and promises like look, they're not they're not wrong if you could live up to them. We just saw these Old Testament scriptures saying like if you're going to do this, take it very seriously. So Jesus isn't in essentially saying I'm canceling all of that, and this is how I want you to live now. He's just helping us see if we don't honor our language and our word, we're gonna get ourselves into trouble. So now we're getting to the heart, right? Beneath all the promises, oaths and vows and swearing is a question of authority. Who is or what is the Lord of our lives? It's a question of worship. Who or what are we living for? If Jesus is the authority of our lives, then let him be your authority and do your best to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't drag his name into it or anything else that he's made into the mix. There's no need for that. It just makes a mess of things, right? Hear me on this your yes meaning yes and your no meaning no is perhaps one of the greatest witnessing tools you have in your belt. The world is desperate for truth tellers. The world is weary of people who can't keep their word. The world is broken over empty promises. You guys, we Christ followers, people who are following Jesus, we have an incredible power in our yes being yes and our no being no. Simply in living that way is going to shine a light and be salt that preserves our world in a way that would be matchless. This is why Jesus is teaching this. This is why it's important. So believers, let's hear Jesus's words today and let's ask for the Holy Spirit to just strip away all the bells and whistles. We don't need them, right? All those bells and whistles that we attach to our speech, ask the Holy Spirit to strip those away so that we might be true salt and light shining brightly and offering preservation to the world around us. I'll go back to the circle of trust, the Burns family circle of trust, right? We're all in circles. We can relate to this, that's why it's funny. We all have family circles, we have work circles, we have friendship circles. And you guys, what are all these circles of people looking for? They're looking for trust. They're looking for something that transcends them that goes beyond them. They're looking for hope. And this is where mission plays out. These are mission fields, these little circles. We can build trust with people when our yes means yes and our no means no, and we can point them to Jesus, whose yes is always yes, and whose no is always no. Jesus is, is the most trustworthy person we could ever have a relationship with. And when we model this teaching, we're pointing to him, we're pointing to that trustworthiness. And friends, you are in Jesus's circle of trust. If you've put your faith in him, there's nothing that is gonna kick you out of that circle of trust. And I say that to you because you will mess it up. You might have a way that you've messed it up right now in your head, a way that your speech or your yes was not your yes or your no was not your no. This is not about rule following. This is about the grace offered by Jesus Christ and the relationship and the power that has been given us through the Holy Spirit to walk these things out. So you'll never be kicked out of Jesus' circle of trust. You will struggle, but cling to Jesus. Again, his yes is always yes, and his no is always no. You can trust on that. You can take it to the bank. It's never gonna change. And when you open your mouth, let's remember Psalm 141, verse three. Post a guard at my mouth. God set a watch at the door of my lips. In Psalm 19:14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what's inside of here, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, O oh Lord you have authority over my life and my heart and my speech and my mouth and you are my rock and you are my redeemer. And perhaps you can make this a day by day, moment by moment prayer in your life. God, help me let my yes be yes and my no be no. It's that simple. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that your words are true forever. Jesus, we thank you that your yes is always yes and your no is always no and there's no puffing up of your language that you have to do to prove yourself. It's so foreign to us. And we desire to be people who follow you and take you for your word with all of our lives. God, I pray for those this morning who have yet to make Jesus an authority in their life, to trust Him with all of their life. I pray that you break through right now. I pray that you'd show them exactly what a relationship with you looks like. You touch their heart, you draw them near to you. And God, for those who've been walking with you for years, Would you remind us how important our speech is as your ambassadors? Would you help our language be yes and no and simply that? And would it point to you, the most truthful one that we can worship and follow all of our days? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for this Redemption Sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.